0: There's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girls' night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or a dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girls' night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's Kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. This is The Gala Show. I'm your host, Gala Avery. Welcome to the very first bonus episode of The Gala Show, where it's just you, me, and a topic of my choosing – Actually, today we're also joined by my cat, Mischief, so if you hear her in the background, that is just her expressing her enthusiasm for cinema. Today is December 4th, and that means that it's my birthday. Today I turn 28, and AeroPlayer is hosting my birthday party. They've invited me back to the streaming platform to pick 20 more selects as my gift to you. I know not all of my listeners have access to one of my favorite streaming services, so I wanted to extend an invite to the party by sharing what my selects are and why I decided to choose them. I hope that I'm able to introduce you guys to a few new titles that I discovered on the platform. All of these movies were first watches for me on AeroPlayer. So before I begin the countdown, special shout out to Ringo by Hideo Nakata. This movie keeps missing my Arrow Selects list because I want to feature films that are less seen by audiences. However, this was a first watch for me when I saw it back in January for my first volume of selects, and it was just as good as it had been hyped up to be. I had heard about this movie, and I was like, how good can Ringo really be? Because, you know, it's been remade, it's been so long. Well, if you haven't watched Ringo and have been holding off like I had because you're like, eh, it might not be as scary now as it's been over 20 years since it came out, you're definitely missing out. So don't be like me. Go watch it. You will be happy you did. Now for volume two of my selects, let's start at number 20, How to Kill a Judge, directed by Damiano Damiani. Movies about making movies are definitely the hardest ones to pull off. How to Kill a Judge does an excellent job of using this trope as a catalyst for a story about a filmmaker investigating how his movie was used as a template to commit a murder of the subject actually in the movie. This must be a fear for all filmmakers, that your art is either misunderstood or perverted. And it doesn't hurt that the film inside of the film is actually really well shot. I want to see that movie. It looks like something Jodorowsky would have made. There's a lot of really cool lighting cues, and it looks kind of esoteric. Um, Franco Nero plays the cipher, representing Damiani himself, and thus investigating the impact of Cosa Nostra in both the daily lives of Italians and the art they create. Number 19. Sting of Death, directed by William Greff. There's a missing girl, but we don't have time to worry about that. We have a party to put on. Unfortunately, the description online gives the plot of the movie away in a flash. Sting of Death might follow a lot of typical tropes, like the misfit being the villain, but it has some fun moments that set it apart. I love the quality of the transfer of this arrow select. The slight flickering and the deep greens and reds really make you feel like you're watching it on film. Maybe even an Eastman color print that's been a little faded and a little used. Every single character has some kind of birthmark, which just makes me scratch my head. Also, the monster is just a guy in a suit, which I find endearing. When I first turned on this movie, I thought that Sting of Death was going to be about bees or wasps because, you know, stinging. But no, it's actually a jellyfish monster and a jellyfish hatchery which I think is a really cool spin on the whole monster man in a lagoon idea. Number 18, The Killer Reserve Nine Seats, directed by Giuseppe Benatti. This movie might win the award for best title. Giallo meets Agatha Christie in this super, super, super green film. Real talk though, do people like this actually exist? Who dress in expensive furs and wear funny colored suits and look like they've powdered their faces so that they're ghosts? that they hope to seance. I mean, each of the women not only sports a different hairstyle uh, from the next, but also a different color of fur coat. There's a white one, there's a green one, there's a brown one. Hey, that girl has a blue one. I feel like I'm playing Clue. I think they're color-coded with the guys that they're interested in because there's definitely chemistry between the girl in blue and the guy wearing that deep, dusty, blurple velvet suit. Is there a woman in purple that I don't know about? The woman in the brown coat is wearing a green dress, but don't let that fool you. She hates the man in green, and of course, the man in green is caught kissing the woman in the green fur coat. It takes all but 15 minutes until someone's boobs are out. One of the men has a theater attached to his house, which, by the way, I swear that I've been to, even though I never have. It looks just like this theater that I went to go see, I think it was Rules of the Game in Paris with my dad and a friend of ours. But I know that this theater's not in Paris, but it looks just like it. A woman calls a man, quote, daddy, and then kisses him a few seconds too long, and then multiple times. Man, I'm really glad the killer reserved nine seats, because each of these weirdos deserves a place at the table. Number 17, Lilia Forever, directed by Lucas Mudison. This select is courtesy of my friend David. When I did my very first select back in January, he told me to watch this movie, but I never got around to it. So this time, I made sure it was one of the very first things I watched. Lilia Forever is a raw look at an abandoned child. I love how the movie is shot and despite being extremely dark and dealing with soul-crushing childhood abuse and neglect, the movie comes out feeling, well, the same bubblegum pink that's featured on the poster. I can't describe it, but if you're in the mood for an upward-downward spiral, I'd put this one on. Number 16. To Sleep So As To Dream, directed by Kaizo Hayashi. I wonder if Satoshi Kon was a fan of this movie. We see the obvious connection to this film in his works, from Millennium Actress to Perfect Blue, but when I would speak of his manga opus, I would always say it was like Lunar Park by Bredy Cinellis, you know, where like the killer comes back alive to haunt you. Well, I can now say it's also like To Sleep So As To Dream. This mostly silent surrealist picture may have been made in 1986, but you really could have fooled me. If you're in the mood for a film that will challenge you, put this one on. Number 15, The Mutilator, directed by Buddy Cooper. The Mutilator has a dedicated following amongst my horror fan friends, and when they heard it was on Aeroplayer, Player, I was told to watch it. Or else. The opening scene alone gives this movie a spot on my list, and as it goes on, there's definitely some unique kills. The crotch hook? Yikes, my nightmare. As a special shout out to my friend Walker, who I know is listening, fall break is a real thing. Yes, one of the biggest head scratchers of this movie's reviews on Letterboxd comes from the main plot point of this movie and the original title. The group of students are on a fall break and go up to one of their dad's beach houses to close it up for, well, you guessed it, fall break. For all of those wondering, fall break is the week of Thanksgiving. And it is the appropriate time to close up a beach house. Well, unless you live in Los Angeles, where it's a toasty 80 degrees Fahrenheit over the holiday. Number 14. No, The Case is Happily Resolved, directed by Vittorio Salerno. I don't know what it is about me, but next to stairwell shots, scenes where someone being chased through the tall grass are amongst my favorite. I can think back to movies like A Place Beyond the Pines, where he rides the tall trees, I don't even like that movie so much but I think of that sequence constantly. Even better example would be Brotherhood of Death, where a rape sequence becomes purely cinematic as the light flashes through the branches. In No, the case is happily resolved, we find ourselves on the dry banks of a creek where a fisherman hasn't caught anything besides the glimpse of a murder. Why did the killer do it? Our protagonist doesn't care, he just wants to fish. This movie might start out with you thinking it's a giallo or a mystery movie. But what you'll find as the minutes tick on is an angry thriller with great sound design that reveals the true injustice of Italy's judicial system and proves that if you see something, you better say something. Number 13, Deadly Manor, directed by José Ramón Larraz. Is this movie good? To be honest, I don't know, but I sure had a lot of fun with it. It's a little ridiculous. All the warning signs are there, but these characters keep forging on regardless, which makes you wonder... Would I do this if I were in their shoes? Who knows? I'm glad I'm not. It's my nightmare to spend a night in a deadly manner. Number 12, Bad Moon, directed by Eric Redd. This movie has a fantastic opening. It's one of my favorite openings on this list, if not the best. I love practical effects, as you guys all know. And as far as werewolf movies go, this might be one of my favorite ones. The movie feels slicker than it should be, but that just adds to the charm of the 1990s. Plus, Muriel Hemingway is in the film, and it was really a joy to see her after watching Star 80. Number 11, The Case of the Scorpion's Tale, directed by Sergio Martino. I featured both Sergio Martino's The Suspicious Death of a Miner and Island of the Fishmen in Volume 1 of My Arrow Select, and I knew that I had to highlight yet another film of his. The movie is almost as good as the poster, and the color in this film is fantastic, Giallo can sometimes be a little oddball for me in their plot, especially in the reveal, but Martino always does the genre with his feet firmly on the ground. I watched a lot more Giallo this time around, and I feel like this one definitely earned its spot on my list. It's time for a snack break. Stay tuned for my next 10 movies, coming up after these messages. be vegetarian but that doesn't mean i can't enjoy a good spice rub my favorite place to get them is smoke bros a veteran owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs spice blends and seasonings guys you can even put it on your popcorn my favorites are honey badger because he doesn't give a bleep and jelly and peanut flavor topping because mm, 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 some things just taste better together The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. And we're back. Before I get into my next 10 movies, I wanted to answer a question some of my friends have asked me. My friends have told me that they tend to get choice fatigue when they're browsing a streaming service, that basically they spend more time choosing their movie than they do watching it. And even worse, they end up feeling that like they've made the wrong choice once they've finally made it. How do I choose what to watch when I'm on a streaming service, especially when I absolutely never keep a watch list? It's pretty simple. First, I don't spend a lot of time looking for what I want to watch. If I'm on a service like Arrow, I ask myself a few questions. Do I have the energy for subtitles? If not, I know I'm choosing an English language film or I'm watching a dub, which I like dubs. Do I have time for a longer movie or am I on my lunch break? Then I'll go to a genre or a decade and scroll until I find a title that jumps out at me. I don't spend a lot of time looking because too many choices will make you go crazy. Guys, remember, watching a movie on a streamer is really low stakes. You're already paying for the service, so you might as well just take a chance on an oddball title that calls to you. And if you find yourself spending more than 10 minutes choosing what to watch, well, maybe turn off your device and pick up a book or call a friend instead. It's okay to not be in the mood for a movie. But if you really want to watch something and it's taking you more than 10 minutes to decide, consider one of these next 10 titles, because I spent the time curating them just for you. You can also check out my letterbox, at Gala Blue, for more titles and recommendations, such as my Volume 1 Arrow Selects. Now, let's get back into it with number 10. Running Time, directed by Josh Becker. I was drawn to this film because it was a, quote, single-take heist film starring Bruce Campbell. This movie does a great job being fast-paced and never feeling sluggish. The characters are interesting and they have a noir flavor to them. If you know me, you know that I love Heist Gone Wrong, and this definitely fits in that genre, but the ending is sweet and pulls at your heartstrings and tells you that even criminals deserve love. Number nine, Strip Nude for Your Killer, directed by Andrea Bianchi. This is probably the most provocative movie on my list, so be warned if you are, you know, sensitive to nudity. Mostly it's provocative just because within 11 minutes there's a couple having sex in a sauna with four full nudity from both the man and the woman. I guess with a title like this, you better know there's going to be a lot of naked people. I mean, everyone gets naked in this movie and I really mean everybody. As a lover of natural bodies, it's a joy to see real people in the 70s. Plus, they're all supposed to be models and photographers. So we have access to the stylized reds of the dark room, the flashing lights of bulbs exploding when they take your picture, and gorgeous people in front and behind the camera. This might be one of my favorite killer introductions on my list. He's welcomed into his first victim's house by the man saying, I didn't know you rode a motorcycle. They're clearly friends, all photographed together even, and the motive suddenly becomes clear, but it leaves us, the audience, wondering which friend in the photograph is the killer. It's an excellent setup that keeps you glued to the screen. Plus, Harold Player refers to the character of Carlo as a, quote, love rat. I'm going to start using that phrase from now on. Number eight, Girls Night Out, directed by Robert Dubel. Much like Avril Lavigne taking a chance putting the number eight in Skater Boy, or the Go-Go spelling tonight as T-O-N-I-T-E, Girls Night Out used a punk rock spelling of the word night to set the tone. It's actually what drew me to the film. Funnily enough, spelling the word N-I-T-E dates back to the 1920s, where the Oxford English Dictionary referred to it as a, quote, widespread vulgarism. The movie itself is pretty straightforward college slasher. There's sex, couple swapping, interesting characters, and of course the old wives' tale of a killer that plagued the school years before. The same cop that works security was the one who put him away, actually. The plot is driven forward by a scavenger hunt put on by the college radio DJ, but, of course, the killer has peeked at the answers to the clues so they can kill as they go. Some of my horror-loving friends don't like a whodunit slasher, but the lynching reveal at the end of who the killer is had me actually say out loud, whoa. Number seven, The Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion, directed by Luciano Arcoli. The way the villain breaks her dress fasteners would be tantalizingly erotic if it weren't done by, well, the psychotic man who is blackmailing her. Instead of a woman's wildest fantasy, he just becomes a deranged lunatic on the beach, a terrifying figure that any girl could run into. To be honest, I'm not sure if it's just because they're both Italian, but her husband looks just like the attacker if he had some hair gel. Wait, is her husband the villain since the villain said that her husband was the murderer? No, she's just blackmailed into thinking that her absent husband is a murderer. Or maybe he really is. Do all evil guys have the same haircut in Italy? I'm starting to think so. In the end, the diabolical man is really creative in getting what he wants. The movie is groovy, rosy, obscene, and it will make you want to wear light blue eyeshadow. Also, there is a very cute tortoise who becomes a main plot point, so who doesn't love that? Number six, Killer Nun, directed by Gileo Baruti. From the first shot, I could tell I was going to enjoy myself. It's just one of those movies, you guys. Then, during a brief break in the credit sequence, a nun in a confessional says that she can't wait to kill because she hates a man long dead. Man, I am ready. I've not only been really interested in nunsploitation as of late, but also in Christian and Catholic cinema. One might remember my love for Servando Gonzalez's film El Escapulario, which caused me to want to have a scapular of my own. There is something so beautiful about the shape of a habit, specifically that of a Bernadine Franciscan sister or a sister of St. Vincent de Paul. For me, it's all about the coif, and Anita Ekberg has a gorgeous one. The final sequence is incredible. Incredibly erotic, and it doesn't hurt that a crazed Anita Ekberg looks just like one of my favorite foils of all time, Kai Witten, played by Louise Fletcher. Number five, Pit Stop, directed by Jack Hill. Oh, Jack Hill. I've seen quite a decent amount of his filmography. Spider Baby, Big Dollhouse, The Big Birdcage, Coffee, Switchblade Sisters, Sorceresses. I even featured the swinging cheerleaders in volume one as one of my favorite movies. That movie was definitely one of my favorite films I watched on Arrow and is my favorite of the cheer exploitation genre. When I got a chance to watch Pit Stop, I found it to be a delight. You could consider this an exploitation crash but at the heart of this film is a story about one man's loneliness. Richard Davalos is a handsome in the lead, Ellen Bernstein was made to be filmed in black and white, and I loved seeing Sid Haig in a more serious role. Even if you don't like drag racing, you will enjoy this film. Number four, The Initiation, directed by Larry Stewart. Okay, the poster drew me to this one. It's awesome art and the premise lives up to it. An amnesiac sorority girl is plagued by reoccurring nightmares. I love both the plot and the story in this title. They managed to flip a lot of tropes on their head, which keep you guessing. Daphne Zuniga is really gorgeous and I love the relationship she forms with her professor, played by James Reed. No. I am not picking my project topic because I want brownie points. Not everything is about you, Peter. The movie has a fun reveal that is too good to spoil. Special shout out to Marilyn Cagan as one of my favorite characters in this selects volume. Number three, Lady Morgan's Vengeance, directed by Massimo Pupillo. Oh, how I love this movie. I was so happy to hear that I had the chance to put it on my selects. It's a gothic Italian noir that haunts every fiber of your being. It's dark, it's evil, and it sticks with you like a hot, wet night on the countryside. Love is the strongest tool our human hearts have, and when we love, we linger. This movie solidifies my belief in ghosts, and I think that you should watch it with the lights out. Number two, The Grand Tour, directed by David Twohy. I was interested in this title because my friend Neil loves Waterworld, which was written by David Twohy. Okay, before I get into it, you guys... This movie, I literally had zero expectations for. I put it on and I was just like, okay, I'm just, I'm watching it because my friend Neil, he hadn't seen it, but I was just like, I'm just going to put it on. Like, looks like a fun family movie. This movie is a completely normal drama before it turns into mother meets children of men halfway through. Jeff Daniels' performance is right up there with something wild. Heck, this might even be my favorite performance of his. It's a father-daughter story, which you know makes me sob uncontrollably, and was unexpectedly really heartfelt. Through the lens of time travel, it deals with intense grief and the trust that you have to put into those you love. If you could go back in time, how would you protect the ones you love? This is a theme that resonates with me in media, from the very first time that I saw Madoka Magica, where it poised this question, to now, when I sit down and I watch the grand tour. Okay guys, and number one, Bloody Birthday, directed by Ed Hunt. It's my birthday, and I love demented children born under an eclipse. Need I say more? This movie is awesome. You don't just have one evil child. You don't have two evil siblings. No. In the words of King of All Cosmos from Katamari Damacy, Hello, they're triplets. You don't have to wait around for the gore in this one. And you definitely don't have to wait around for these kids to be evil. They're just born this way, baby. Kill after kill, these kids are out for blood, and they don't care who they have to slaughter to satiate their hunger for murder, and for cake. That's it for today, I've got a party to get to. I hope you enjoyed my very first bonus episode of The Gala Show. Thanks to everyone for spending this time with me, and thank you so much to Arrow for letting me pick 20 more selects showcasing some of my favorite titles on their streaming platform. I've said it once, and I will say it again. This is the only streaming platform I have, besides Discovery Plus, for all of my murder shows and reality TV, so it means a lot to be featured again for my birthday. As always, I'm your host, Gala Avery, signing out for today. See you again for our regularly scheduled programming on Thursday, when my next guest, animator Sierra Niele, chats with me about his childhood growing up in a Philly pizza shop. Have a very happy Monday, everyone. The Gala Show is brought to you by Insertmatic. This episode was executive produced by Roger Avery and produced by Gala Avery. Music composed by Andy Milburn. As always, I'm your host, Gala Avery. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's Project Avery dot org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart.